Hi, I'm Lex Marinos, and... Hello, I'm Patricia Ramflett. You're listening to Baby Boomer's Guide to Life in the 21st Century, across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Each week we chat with leading health, lifestyle, finance and fitness experts about how to get the most out of life as we age. Plus we talk with well-known and not-so-well-known Australians of all generations about the issues that affect them. So tune in and... Get connected. connected. Stay connected. Now, this will be a good show today. Lex Marinos and I, I'm Patricia Amphlett. We've got some terrific guests and lovely topics. Oh, really? Name one. Well, Understanding Home Care with Craig Gear. Okay. And let's face it, we're all heading towards that time in our lives when we might be searching for some home care. Nostalgia Town. Oh, this is excellent. Elizabeth Chonk. I remember her when I was growing up and mum would watch yeah, absolutely. Oh, cooking Chinese food for the very first time. She's Millions great. Millions of Australians made yeah. their first sweet and sour pork. They love it a pieces. Now, what about the money extra today, Lex? We have a complicated relationship with money and Mark Bynum is going to steer us through that thorny patch. It'll be good, though. He'll take us through. He's great. And... We're stepping out with Robin Campbell. Campbell from Keppel. Have you been to Keppel? I got wrecked on Keppel. Did you? <laughs> did you? <laughs> I bet you did. <laughs> Keppel's lovely. In yeah. other words, another great show. Oh, I can't wait. Baby Boomer's Guide. Today, uh, today we're, ha- we're having to get a bit of better insight into home care and how it works. And we're talking to Craig Gear from the Older Persons Advocacy Network. Craig has been CEO of the Older Persons Advocacy Network since 2018. Prior to that, he served as the organisation's chairperson. Craig has a great deal of experience in health service management and consulting. He served as board chair of the Seniors' Rights Service and worked in healthcare advisory at PricewaterhouseCoopers. Craig began his career in nursing and is passionate about connecting and improving our health system. Craig, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lex. Good to be here. Now, t- how did you get into this area, Craig? You seem to have both uh, uh, a background in 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 accountancy, in num- crunching the numbers, but also in in aged care. Is that the combination you work for? Uh, look, while PwC is known for its accounting firm, it also does sort of a whole lot of consulting advisory work. So. I worked there when PwC was involved with a whole lot of aged care and health reform and one of the passions that I had is about trying to fix the health system and the aged care system. And so um, it kind of, I, I'd actually come from the prison system, which really scared, oh, I think, wow, a lot really? of the, scared a lot of the partners there when I'd say that, uh, where were you before? And I'd say I was in prison. And so that <laughs> used to um, freak them out a little bit. But it was kind of where my passions come from is working with, marginalised groups or, or groups that sort of don't get the best out of the system and to see yeah. can we actually build a better system for all Australians. And so that's kind of how I got this circuitous route into working with Seniors' Rights Service and consulting for not-for-profits and then really into formation of the Older Persons Advocacy Network who mm. we've our members, the nine members that form OPAN, have been delivering this individual support for older people for about 30 years, but they came together in 2017 to sort of work together to make sure there was a, mm. a better health system and individual support for older people right across the country. What exactly is... Home care. It sounds as though by its title it should be obvious, but is that how would you define home care? Yeah, so when we speak to older people, they say to us, and this is one of the tenets within the 
charter of aged care rights is everyone has the right to their independence and older people say to us that's one of the most important things to them is to maintain their independence and so effectively what home care will the commonwealth home support program and the home care packages that are another part of the program at the moment that's what they do is to uh, able to keep people in their homes longer keep them independent and keep them connected with their community and that's what people say that that's what they want when is a person eligible for home care, Craig? Uh, so, so we've got um, a system where they uh, they put, I suppose, a limit. The age limit for most people is sixty five, and sixty five and above. Um, for some other groups, those who might uh, age earlier might be at risk of homelessness, and also for our First Nations people, they can qualify for home care at fifty five. So it's also about what's your function like and what, what sort of supports you need to keep you living well, connected to community and living in your home. So could you describe a handful of things that home care can provide for people? So at the moment we've got a sort of a, a two-part system called the Commonwealth Home Support Program and we've got home care packages. The Commonwealth Home Support Program does some really great stuff about the things around your house which which you might struggle with if you're getting a bit frailer, the stairs are a bit hard, those sorts of things. So that'll be things like shopping, uh, uh, home maintenance, the garden, uh, cleaning the house. And I know my mum, that's the thing she really values is the cleaners coming in for her Commonwealth Home Support Program is the cleaners come uh, once a fortnight to help her out of those hard-to-reach places that you just you can't get to these days as much as you, you want and you want your home to be looking nice for when people come around. So that's mm-hmm. what the Commonwealth Home Support Program does. The home care packages bring some of that clinical uh, and additional support in, things like nursing care, someone checking with their medicines, someone coming to help you with your shower, those sorts of things. So it's more intensive support and there's different levels and I can step you through those levels and and basically how you get an assessment for which type of home support is right for you. And and Craig, how is it, what's the uh, what's the funding model? Do I have to pay for it? Is it supported by the government? Is it private uh, privately funded? How does it work? Yeah, so for most people, you'll pay some small amount. There are uh, assessments that get done around your finances, um, not normally on your assets, but normally on sort of uh, your cash supplies, I suppose. But for those who uh, who are on the pension, that'll be a small amount. For some uh, retirees, um, then there's a, a, a proportionate amount that you contribute, and. That, that gets assessed by what we usually term Centrelink Services Australia and that they'll do an assessment of those sorts of things. So it'll be a small contribution, but predominantly most of it gets paid by the government as a subsidy to the aged care provider and uh, that that is a package of an amount usually um, up to around about $55,000 per year, which then gets drawn down for the services you need. But what happens is a person comes and does an assessment of you and then works with you to work out what what you want, which is called consumer-directed care, to work out what's the packages of support that actually is going to keep you well and keep you supported in your home. So it's all about the the older person and forming a plan around them about what they want that's going to keep them staying at home longer. Do you personally feel quite rewarded by 
uh, the good that you're doing or that your company is doing? Uh, it, it, it does, but we often hear about all the, the bad issues. Um, oh. People come to us and say, um, and I'll give a plug for our national advocates, which is about um, going to be about 200 across the country this year. And um, on 1-800-700-600, they, they are there to support and provide individual support, advice, information, mm. uh, and go into bat for people when they're not getting the best out of their um, from their provider if they've got issues. And, and we just say, look, speak up and, and, mm. and, and let us help you get the best out of your package. Someone's saying to me yesterday, what would it need to do to get you to say so you don't have a job anymore? And I would love that to be the case that yeah. I didn't need to do because if I if if we do our job well, people will be able to stand up and do this for themselves. Um, we wouldn't be needed. But unfortunately, things go wrong sometimes and that's why we're there to support people, mm. to have their voice, to raise their voice, to say this is not good enough, um, I want this resolved and how are we going to do this better so that I can get the support I need. That's what an advocate does, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. And what's that number again? Say that number. Yeah, it's really got quite easy to remember, 1-800-700-600. So I go 876, 1-800-700-600. Thanks, yeah. Craig. Craig, is there a component of home care? Does that overlap with medical services? And uh, and if so, does, is there a discrepancy between what happens in metropolitan areas and what happens in regional areas? We know from recent reviews into aged care and medical and services and health services that the regions really struggle for uh, for accessibility for a lot of people. So. What is the overlap between medical services and home care and is there a discrepancy between metropolitan and regional? Yeah, so the and, and the way you kind of access aged care services is through ringing what's called My Aged Care and then getting an assessment set up and the, um, the teams will come out and either speak to you on the phone or come out to your home. That doesn't take away from the really important work that your GP does and that primary care work and what often they do as a chronic disease plan or a health assessment and then work out a plan of care. So that's that sort of primary care, uh, important work around your health services and then these aged care services come in to support that as well. So um, it sits a bit separately to that, um, but it's really uh, important that those two systems work together and that your GP knows that you've got the supports at home that are being provided to you through my aged care and the aged care system. Mm-hmm. And metro and regional? Sorry, in the regional stuff, yeah, look, um, it is sometimes a challenge. We're seeing some really innovative models where the community is getting together and building their own services, um, providing supports for people there. Um, That's one thing we're championing to make sure that no matter where you live in Australia, you've got access to these services. Um, Sometimes there's a little bit less choice, but um, we're working on that as well to make sure that people have got choice and control wherever they are. Mm. So if people, you know, need would love to contact you, they can uh, Google myagedcare.gov.au or they can find, see if I can remember, 1800 700 600. That's it, Patty. Yeah, 1-800-700-600. <laughs> um, there's lots of webinars and videos and stuff on our website, which is Opan, opan.org.au. The My Age Care is who you ring if you're going, I think I need a little bit of support at home and this is going to keep me at home. Go to the My Age Care website or give them a call. Um, But if you need help with the services you're receiving at the moment, give us a call on 1-800-700-600. 
well, my husband and I are fortunate we've not needed any of that and um, and I was totally unaware of it anyway. So now you've enlightened me and many people. But quite recently, like last week, my husband was in hospital and uh, he's older than I am. And... Uh, <laughs> Doesn't doesn't look it. No, no, I know he looks terrific, and he was really was a minor thing he went to hospital for. But however, a lovely, lovely person came and spoke about uh, this my aged care, and we were so enlightened we'd not heard about it, and we both thought how wonderful. Of course, how lucky we don't need it at the moment, but uh, it was great, great to know that uh, that is available. And I know I've spoken to a couple of older people that us who also didn't know about it who really need that care and already they're on their way to receiving it so thanks <laughs> craig thank you very much for talking to us and uh, you know let's uh, let's hope that we can um, do you out of a job at some point yeah <laughs> that, that would be wonderful many anyway, thanks thank craig lovely to meet you bye-bye lovely speaking to you today thanks see ya and now it's time to have a cuppa in jeff's cafe where people of different ages talk about the theme and interview of the day. And welcome to this uh, episode of Jeff's Cafe. We're going to talk today about that interview we just heard with Craig Gear on home care and home care costs for older Australians. And today in the cafe, we have three people representing different ages. First of all, we have Isabella, who is aged somewhere between 18 and 39. Elise, who is aged somewhere between 40 and 61, and Yvonne, thank you so much for joining us. Now, I'm going to throw, actually, Isabella, to a mm-hmm. question for you uh, about yes. about Craig Gear. Is it mm-hmm. important, do you think, that people be, continue to be able to stay at home as they age? Absolutely. I think it it gives people a lot more dignity to be somewhere, especially if it's somewhere that they've spent a large part of their life and to have the things that they've built around them. Our homes are everything. I completely agree with that. I never thought about home care or aged care, but um, now uh, my husband and I are both involved in it. And um I do agree that I think it's important for people to stay at home as long as they can. And, uh, uh, you know, I think um, what is available these days through, you know, home care is, um, although it might have had its um, ups and downs over the last couple of years, that people can stay in their home with help and, you know, receive the help that they need because it does come to a lot of people eventually. That's right, um, Yvonne. And as Craig mentioned in the Charter of Aged Care Rights, one of the tenants is the right to independence. Um, So to keep people, yeah, in their homes longer and connected with their community is so important, isn't it? Oh, it is. And I think we've seen that through the last couple of years with COVID um, in particular. And we've seen the scenes at the, you know, the aged care residences and um, a lot of people suffering because of COVID, families and so on. Isabella, have you thought much about home care at your gender age? Um. <laughs> I definitely, um, my, my partner's parents have just moved to, uh, a community which, uh, they have more assistance. 
and stuff, which I think uh, is definitely something we have to think about a little bit more at the moment, I guess. Yes. Um, but, uh, on my mum's side, um, I know that my, my mum's dad wants to stay independent and in his own home for as long as possible. And he's made that very clear. Um, mm. and I completely understand where he's coming from with that. I guess there does come a time when we, you know, people can't stay at home. Uh, my husband has been diagnosed with dementia and, with uh, another illness and uh, I want to keep him at home as long as possible and, uh, you know, trying to prepare myself for that. And I'm lucky that I have supportive children. Um, I think they call them the sandwich generation. They've got, <laughs> to, they've got children themselves. My grandchildren, oh, they're in the teens and the 20s. And now they, now they've got, um, us. Yeah. It's also easier. It's also easier for the children to support us at home as well. I'm the carer for my husband. I've had, I had a struggle working through aged care packages, also my computer skills. And I've actually needed my two sons to do you know, various things. Um, yesterday, um, we had curtains washed and, um, they weren't rehung and my son came over and re, rehung them. Um, and I mean, my husband just loves to be with his kids. I mean, it's still early to middle stage for him. And I'm sure at some stage it's, it is going to be you know, in aged care, but, um, you know, life can go on um, pretty much as normal. Yeah, I think the most important thing is just a strong family unit. Yes, um, Especially uh, having that younger generation be able to help with a lot of technology things because mm. um, I think that that's is also just important for them to feel like they are helping and are involved with it. That's right. Um, because there is a level of helplessness that I know as someone of a, a younger generation, not being the generation that's helping directly as a, mm. a child of someone in aged care, but to have something that they can do, like being able to assist with technology, it makes us feel like we are less powerless in this situation and it's more of a family thing we don't realize how much we take um you know technology capabilities for granted do we uh, i grew up in the 80s and 90s and computers were only just starting to come online in the 90s so mm. i kind of i grew up you know in the 80s without the technology but you know as i was a teenager I was introduced to it and, you know, so I have those skills, but, you know, I remember my grandparents and even my dad, he's um, early seventies, but he doesn't use email. You know, he's very old school. He wouldn't have a clue how to send an email. He doesn't have a mobile phone. Um, my parents don't like mobile phones. So it's all those little things that we, we take for granted, don't we? Every day, day to day. That's right. There are a lot more options yeah. out there than for, you know, years ago. 
um, if you don't have family. But do you have um, elderly parents, Celeste? I'd say there. Um, my dad's in his early seventies, and my mum's in her late sixties. Right. Uh, me being forty, I'm. I'm because my dad's just had a knee replacement. And um, it's taken him ages to recover and he's had to go to, you know, all the rehabilitation for it. And they've mm. got a lot of stairs in their home. So uh, as uh-huh. I get older, I'm I'm starting to, to realise, you know, what I used to take for granted. My parents' mobility won't won't be there for mm. much longer. And it's it's just little things that you forget. Um you know, that you forget how easy it is to do that you take for granted. Oh, definitely, definitely. But as yeah. far as and Isabella, you would, you would know this, that um, um, I, I mean, I use technology as far as word processing and that kind of thing when I was working, but it's got more complex, much more complex. Mm-hmm. And for us yeah. older, older people, you know, it's... It's really difficult. I'm also involved with, um, I've, I've also just got a code for the Commonwealth Home Program, which was mentioned, um, only because I'm not getting out as much, not connecting with people as much. And it's more alike, it's an exercise program run by, uh, Uniting that, um, offers home care packages. Um, and it's an hour of exercise and you're, you're mostly funded, um, just a, a couple of dollars each week. Um, you know, so, um, that gets me out. Amazing. So that's a, is it a good social aspect as uh, well? Today was my first day. <laughs> oh, um, right. there, there are three gentlemen and about five ladies and, uh, we introduced ourselves, but um, I haven't really got the opportunity to, um, you know, to get to know them. But there's also another exercise class and an art class. I won't join those at the moment, but there are plenty of things out there. I think um, home care, I think it's very good, but there have been big problems just lately with the difficulty in getting staff. You know, because mm-hmm. our students and so on have left the country, and of course they look after yes. the people that need the most care. So we have missed out on, you know, quite a bit lately. But we understand what's happening. Yeah, that's fantastic. I I, I didn't know that there was a two part system that Craig was mentioning. So. The Commonwealth Home Support Program and yes. the home care packages. I think that's amazing that that's available to people. Yeah. Well, we've all, I've also got a code for some frozen meals with the Commonwealth Home Care only because I do cook. Um, but sometimes I just get too busy. It's good to have something in the freezer that you can pull out. Um, so, and they've got, you know, you can get house cleaning, you can get lots of things. Um, but at the stage my husband was at at the time, we had to go, it was suggested that we take the, the home care package when it was, um, lots of things available there too. They are going to combine the two. 
Um, ah, right. Yes. Okay. Um, and mainly I think it was my aged care that assessed me for the Commonwealth. They said, I'll never get a home care package, not the way <laughs> I am now. I, I just might remind our listeners that My Aged Care is a project of the Commonwealth Government that helps connect older Australians with Commonwealth-funded projects like home care. I think it was really impressive as well that Craig, you know, mentioned that he works for OPAN, that um, nas- there's a national mm. advocacy service that provides support, advice, and goes into mm. bat for older Australians. Yes. I think that's really, really important Um and yeah, I was just really impressed with, with all the services that were available. It's definitely, um, you know, opened my eyes and I was able to check out the My Aged Care website. Um, that's got a lot of information and so does the OPAN website. So all really user friendly, lots of webinars, videos, really well set out. So yeah, I'm impressed, um, at the services on offer. And that was a tremendous plug, Elise, for <laughs> Craig Gear and the Older Persons Advocacy Network, or OPAN, uh, and a wonderful point on which to wind us up in Jeff's Cafe. I want to thank you once again, Isabella from Curtin in WA, Yvonne from Summer Hill in New South Wales, and Elise from Miranda. Thank you so much for joining us today in Jeff's Cafe. Thank you, Jeff, and thank you, Elise and Bella. Great, thanks. Thank you so much for having me. And now it's time for Nostalgia Town, where we speak with well-known older Australians about the journey they took that makes them the person they are today. Taking us to Nostalgia Town today is someone that I've been knowing about. I've known about her for all my life, I think. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Her name is Elizabeth Chong, A.M., She's now a very wonderful, sprightly, youthful 91 years young. Oh, my goodness. Yep. She's a Chinese-born Australian celebrity chef, former cooking teacher, author, and media personality. The original celebrity chef, she is a pioneer of the cooking industry, and we can thank her for introducing traditional Chinese cuisine to Australia. Elizabeth was born in Guangzhou, formerly Canton, and her family's history in Australia dates way back to the 1850s when her grandfather emigrated from China. Mm, Welcome, Elizabeth. It's lovely to have you with us. And I'm wondering, can you tell us the circumstances of your arrival into Australia as a little three-year-old? Oh, (laughs) look, um, at three years old, I I don't know whether I'm a little bit... uh, uh, different from everybody else, but I can't remember a single thing of that day. <laughs> I, I, I think I can remember things when I'm a little bit later than that, and and anecdotes, and you know, when when your mother and dad tell you what you said and did at that certain time, and that's become sort of part of my uh, my memories now. But I was told that when I when but when our ship landed in 1934, I think I was barely three years old. I think I might have always been a little bit precocious. <laughs> I don't know, but Mum said that because my father was in Australia, you know, on the docks waiting to meet us, was Mum mm-hmm. and Mum and his mother, my grandmother, and my three other siblings, eldest sister, eldest brother, and then second sister and myself. And I evidently saw my father, and he was standing there with a very large, very 
ample-bosomed lady, I'll call her, with with a shock of white hair, a big lady who evidently used to own the milk bar near where the shop was, where Wally Wai was going to to settle, to live there in West Melbourne. And she was helping my father greet us, and a very lovely, kind lady. But I shrieked with terror, I believe, because I had never seen a big lady like that before, (laughs) let alone a lady with big bosoms and the lady (laughs) with white hair, because everybody I knew had black hair and they were little. What a great memory. Oh, gee. I mean, this lady scooped me up, I'm told, and she just hugged me because I was probably a three years old, a, a little Chinese child, and I was probably cute to her, a little bit different to her, and she just just bundled me up into her arms, and all I could think of was her smell as well because she smelled ah. different. Mm. And then afterwards I realised as I grew older that she smelled of lamb and potatoes and cabbage. <sighs> and how about that? that? I didn't know either. I've heard that before that we all, depending on our cuisine, we smell differently all over the yeah, world. that's right. Things weren't that simple for the family at the time. Is it true that your mum, your mother was told to leave the country oh, yeah. under that dreadful, dreadful white Australia policy? Well, that was why. That was in 1926. It was before uh, I was born. Earlier on, mm. yes. Yeah, so that's why I was born in China and I'm the only one of my six siblings that is born in China through for the white Australia policy, you know, at, at mm. that time. Funny thing, mm. though, in the early days, they, um, the government, Victorian government, wanted labour, cheap labour, and they brought over all the indentured, well, what they call them indentured labourers, you know, from different parts of the mm. world and, and from China. That's talking about eighteen mid-1850s. And mm. they brought these immigrants, like encouraged that because then 50 years later they reneged by um, ousting us out from, from Australia yeah, because yeah. of the widespread policy. Yeah. We didn't have the right colour of skin. Elizabeth, originally you had aspirations, I believe, to be a concert pianist or a journalist. What uh, what changed there? <laughs> Improbable aspirations, really. Um, but when I was at school, I um, I did learn the piano. I learned the piano from the age of 10 right through to the end of schooling. In those days, it was called matriculation. So I did, I did piano and piano appreciation all the way through. And I was a fairly, fairly proficient pianist, I suppose, at that mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. and um, and I don't know, I just thought it sounded like a good occupation, a good profession to me, <laughs> But then, and then when I realised I didn't have the talent for that, I thought um, I used to write for the school magazine and, uh, you know, funny little little stories that I'd make up for the school magazine, and then, oh, maybe I'd like to be a journalist. In the end, in the end, you know, I didn't do either of those. So I, <laughs> I, I became a school teacher instead. Oh, okay. Ah, a primary or a high school teacher? Primary school teacher, but I have to be a little bit embarrassed or a little bit ashamed to say that I did one year of training because I had just met my husband to be, and I was at the beginning of my very first romance. <laughs> And the, oh. and the education department in those days, I don't know if they still do it, after one year's training, they send you to the country, to the little rural schools. Mm. That's right. And my parents, and they thought, well, Chinese parents, I thought, that is terrible. I was only 18, you know, and they said, no, no, you can't go away from home. That would be um, 
improper and dangerous, you know. And, and so I left. And I didn't, I don't think I objected too much because I'd started this romance, you know, and I thought, mm. I really don't want to leave Melbourne at that time, but um, I, I, I love my teaching and I think that did give me the grounding that to become a cooking teacher, which I didn't ever think I would be in the food industry. Mm. Um, but that one year's training, I knew then I was natural teacher i think i like i like teaching i like communicating with people mm. and and you know the idea of um being able to contribute your knowledge to others and then and then want it's, it's very rewarding that a year later i was married before i was 20 very young too young was he the love of your life <laughs> um at that time, I thought so. I was only 16 when I met him, my very first date. And um, and then I married him because I just thought that that was, you know, that was yeah. it. But, but <laughs> unfortunately, um, as I, well, I suppose at 16, you don't know a great deal about life, do you? And, no, and he, no. was, he was an Australian-born Chinese. Let's say the... Um, the circuit for meeting eligible men for me was pretty small because I understood that he had to be Chinese, and um, I wasn't allowed to to even think about going out with an Australian boy. And mm. a lot of this, um, and, and uh, well, anyway, he was tall. He was good looking. He played a good game of tennis. He played a good game of football, <laughs> and mm. I thought he was well educated, mm. and that that. That influenced me a little bit, I think. I might have been a little bit of a snob, but um, <laughs> he was a professional man from a professional family and and that's pretty, pretty few and far between in those yeah. days. Mm-hmm. I, I was privileged enough to go to a good school and the other Chinese men around were, were not, perhaps, um, and and so that that I suppose the, the criteria was good enough at that time and and um, years later, well I, I was married for twenty four years but I I knew for most of that time that we were not compatible in personality mm-hmm. and so I uh, you know I, I separated and I divorced but I I was forty in my mid forties when I did it so I had four children by then. I was going to ask how you ended up on television. Oh, um, you know, I never really sought to do all the things that I have done. When I when I look back and I, I and I think of all the things I have done, that they just seem to follow on from one and one thing to another. I um, because of my heritage, I was I had something that a lot of Australian or Melbourne housewives did not have, and that was the knowledge of Chinese food because <laughs> I just mm. grew up that way. And so they were asking me, they were always asking me how I do this and how I do that, and I ended up being um, a, a fundraiser, I think, for years, just, you know, going uh, demonstrating how to cook rice, demonstrating how to cook um, vegetables and things and raising money for the piano for the kinder or for library for the school and and it got to the stage where my diary was packed full of these demonstrations and one day I think it was so full that I I, I, I totally forgot one one engagement I had a phone call to say Elizabeth where are you there's 50 people waiting here for you <laughs> and, and I thought oh my god 
but I managed to get there. And um, then I thought afterwards, I've got to stop this. This is terrible. And then um, 10, of, 10 of the local school teachers where my children were, were attending uh, uh, formed themselves into, into uh, a little group and presented themselves to say, we're going to be your students. We want you to start cooking classes for us. Please teach us. And I thought, oh, that might be better than all the demonstrations. I'll do an odd class here and there. And I thought that might be the end of it. And then that class of 10 just kept growing. And I had a waiting list and I didn't know how to stop. And mm-hmm. um, and so uh, it became almost like um, a part of the eastern suburbs of Melbourne to go to an Elizabeth Chong cooking school. I had people from all over Melbourne coming then, and one of the students who was sitting in there, her name was Claire Carney, and she was the um, buyer for Hill of Content bookshops in Collins Street, Melbourne, very, mm-hmm. very well-known bookshop, and she suggested I write a book. Uh, she wow. said, you've got to write a book, Elizabeth, you know, and uh, the way you teach is the way you should write the book. And Macmillan's was the publisher, and that book was quite a hit. It was called The First Happiness. And from then on, I think people got to know me more and more, and and I had all sorts of people in, in my classes. Mm. I won't name them all, but quite famous. Actually, one of them, I won't name her, but she's our present governor of Victoria. Ah. And I didn't know that, of course. I didn't know that at all until I went to um, be presented with the Order of Australia just 2019 and, and up on the platform when she was pitting the medal on me, she said, I'm one of your students. <laughs> That's a great story. Amongst one of those students in the classes then was a lady who had some kind of a senior position at Channel 10 and she said, I'd like you to meet my um, manager because I think you should be on television. I said, I can't believe that. And before I knew it, I was on Good Morning Melbourne. Mm-hmm. That was early 1980, I think. Mm-hmm. I think. And then um, Good Morning Melbourne with Annette Allison and Roy Hampson. That went on for a few years until the program closed. And then I, I did win a very prestigious book award in France for the best cookbook of the year. Oh, and, wow. you know, you do, a, you do a book circuit, you know, with your publisher yes. and when you're there. And uh, at that time, Good Morning Australia had uh, had replaced Good Morning Melbourne, and the iconic Bert Newton, of course, was uh, the star of that, uh, the presenter. And um, so I went on that show and presented my book with Bert, and uh, I thought that was lovely. And before I left the studio, Bert's producer came up and said, Bert would like you to come back next week, and if you would like to stay on. And uh, that's how I got on. On to Good Morning Australia for 12 or more years, mm. and, uh, and it kind of became a, a television person without yes. even knowing how it happened. Excellent. We're very pleased that you did become famous and uh, <laughs> that we could look at you. I have to ask this. When you were teaching cooking to groups of people, what was the dish that they really wanted to perfect? I think it was mainly I wanted them to get rice perfect. I couldn't. I just yeah. couldn't cope with the fact that everybody had soggy <laughs> rice or bad rice. Yes, yes. And, and that was my passion. 
But mm. their passion, I think, was good dishes like sweet and sour pork. Yes, <laughs> curried prawns and rice. No, 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 no. I think it was Cantonese cooking, of which that's where I, I, I am at because I'm right. Cantonese, you know, from the mm. southern China. Uh, at that time, that's all I knew uh, because they were virtually um, dishes I grew up with, really. Um, mm. They were my mother's and grandmother's recipes, and I just simply cooked the way they did. And um, and I think sweet and sour pork was very popular. Fried rice is very popular. Mm. But uh, it, it, on every appearance, which was every week, sometimes twice a week, viewers were asked to write in, you know, for their favourite recipe of the week. I think sweet and sour pork always topped the list always. Yes, it's, it a, it's a favourite, a perennial favourite. Well, when it's cooked well, it's a really very fine dish. But when mm. it's cooked badly, it's abysmal. I think what used to spur me on was the fact that it was a deep cultural pride. I was determined to change things because I knew everybody I, that, that was associated with me and everywhere I went and Everybody loved Chinese food, but they didn't appreciate it and they didn't really understand it at that time. It was sort of cheap and cheerful to them, you know, mm. and, and and they didn't understand the um, the sophistication and the beautiful simplicity at the same time that, mm. that goes with Chinese food and the detail of, of preparation and, and the care and the love that's got to go into every dish. Mm. You know, they, they used. To, do you remember those days when they used to just um, the mothers' clubs? I remember they used to buy these packaged soups oh, and yes. get some minced pork or minced chicken. I suppose in those days, yeah. and throw in the packet of soup and turn it into Chinese chicken chow mein or something. You know, wow. they used to do that sort of disgusting. Thing. Yeah. And I think it hurt my personal and cultural pride, I think, and then all I wanted to do. They didn't revere it as they did French cuisine, mm. but they loved it, and I knew they loved it, and so I was determined that they should um, do it the right way and learn it. And so that has been my passion for 57 years. I had my cooking school and... And I, uh, somebody's added it up. I haven't, but I had thirty-five thousand students in my wow. time. Wow! Yeah. And I Gee. think I changed the homes, the kitchens in the Aussie homes, as a result of that. To a great extent, I think you know. Now, now I believe one in three homes owns a wok. No, oh, that'd be and, right. Yes, uh, of course. There's chopsticks in the cutlery drawer along with knives and forks and I guess soy sauce sits along tomato sauce. And That's right. I think it's a part of, it's a part of Australia now and, and I'm very, very proud, I think, that um, maybe I've had a great deal of significance and contribution to that. We're very happy <laughs> for the contribution you've made. Um, yes. Elizabeth, you mentioned culture a lot and you talk in reference to your own Chinese culture, but what about growing up? What 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 about movies and uh, songs and Western yeah. television and theatre? I suppose I grew up with two cultures, especially before my teen years. I was almost probably 70% Chinese and 30%, I mean, I was at school Um and I was at home with mum and dad, and I spoke Chinese only with mum and dad and grandma and aunties and uncles and ate only Chinese food. As I went to secondary school, I think that's when it started, I became more and more conscious of 
of leaving behind some of the Chinese ways that I grew up with and becoming more and more, I suppose, socially westernized. Um, my dad was an unusual man. He encouraged and fostered a great relationship between being Chinese and, and Australian. He said Australia is our home, and he never, never held us back. I had I had girlfriends home for weekends. I was allowed to go away for to my girlfriends when they had holidays or back to their houses. And I think it was because of his love of Australia and Australian people that that I developed that as well and I became increasingly more Australian, I think, in my teenage years. I can remember at the school I went to, I had a dance. I think I was probably only, probably about 15 or 14 or something uh, with the uh, Scotch College boys came over and I didn't get one dance. I remember sitting uh-huh. there. I think they looked at me and they thought, well, she could be a bit strange. I don't know. But they were too scared to ask me to dance. Perhaps I didn't think I could speak English or perhaps I thought I couldn't dance or whatever. But I I then wished I I were not Chinese. I wish I looked like my girlfriends. But they were fleeting moments, I think, that that's – cultural thing. I, I think when I went actually when I'd go home and I could I could smell the food cooking this mum prepared the dinner, I thought oh, I'm glad I'm Chinese anyway when it came to food <laughs> the meals. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think after, after a while I lived quite happily with the two worlds um, able to switch on and switch off. But anyway it gave me my, my profession, didn't it? Really? <laughs> So I have to be glad for that. And it sounds like you've had a fulfilled life, a wonderful life. We're proud of you <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we're, we're proud of you that you're Australian and that you're Chinese. And please yes. forgive our ignorance at times. In those early days, we weren't the most knowledgeable people about people from faraway places. But we're very pleased that you agreed to be our guest today, Elizabeth. And oh, well, it's my, my pleasure also. Thank you. From both Lex and I, yes, we indeed. wish you all the best. And once again, many, many thanks, Elizabeth Chong AM, and we hope our paths cross again. Thank you, Elizabeth. Oh, thank you. Thank, thank you, Lex. Bye-bye. 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 And now it's time for Money Extra, where an expert on a particular finance topic gives us a brief life lesson on money. Hi, I'm Mark Bynum, Money and Retirement Coach from The Money Sandwich, talking to you today about our complicated relationship with money on Baby Boomer's Guide to Life in the 21st Century. So why do we have a complicated relationship with money? In its simplistic form, I believe we confuse money with mathematics. Money is scientific and logical, but when it comes to money, it's emotional and it is about our feelings. As for example, how else do you explain greed? Another example is why do so many people find it incredibly difficult to stick to a budget? As if it is just simple maths, it should be easy as just adding and subtracting, but it's not. As getting this right controls our lifestyle, how we put food on the table, how we take care of people we love, and how we eventually reach financial freedom and live comfortably in retirement. So to understand money, you need to understand the psychology behind money to get control of it, as otherwise it can have a control over you, your spending habits, and so on. 
Also with banking apps, tap and go, credit cards now, it is all a bit abstract now rather than back when we had cash in our pockets. Something real and just seemed easier to understand. Money for many is also a taboo subject. As at a dinner party, you might tell someone your job, but would you tell them necessarily your salary? It is just not done. Yes, there will always be one who brags about how much money they earn, but again, that is more to help their self-esteem than anything else. So how do we fix it? Well, for a start, you need to accept money equals emotions, not maths. Realize we all need help in this area to better understand it, to put some time and effort into it and make a plan. Listening to money programs to educate yourself and know there is plenty of help out there to call upon. Money courses, money coaches, professional advisors. If the richest or best sports people in the world still see a coach to help them stay on track and accountable, why not the rest of us? and it doesn't need to be expensive. Thanks for listening, and bye for now. And now it's time for Stepping Out, where we speak with older people from around Australia, showcasing their communities and community radio stations, and telling us why you might want to visit sometime. You're listening to Baby Boomer's Guide to Life in the 21st Century, with me, Lex Marinos, and with you, Patricia, where are you? Oh, that's right, she's not here. She's not here, she's wagging it today. Anyway, (laughs) it's with me. With me, and we're stepping out. We're stepping out with Robin Campbell. That's who you can hear. Robin hails from Glenbrook in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales. Moved with her family to Yapoon in Keppel Bay in 1977. Growing up in central Queensland, Robin became a chef for 30 years, a mural painter for 20 years, and a volunteer radio announcer for the past nine years. Robin values community culture as essential in our area to help everyone enjoy life together as a community. As Robin gets older, and believe it or not, she is getting older, she realises how important it is to communicate and share experiences of life. And in Keppel, you can enjoy a surfing, fishing, adventurous island lifestyle without getting too wrecked on Keppel oh, yes. Island. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so beautiful up here, you know, and sometimes I watch the news and wonder, is that what's going on around the world? Apparently <laughs> it is, Robin. That's what's going on while you're not watching what's happening in the world, it moves on. Yeah. You're, you're known as Rockin' Robin. Yeah, Rockin' Robin. <laughs> That's an old song, isn't it? Yes, yes, because I grew up, my father taught me how to dance and sing and he even played tennis with Cole Joy years oh, ago. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. shame, shame Patricia's not here because she knows Cole very well. Yeah, yeah, I know. And was, I know someone else that saw Patricia back in 77 at, King Street mascot. Yeah. High school. No. In 1971. God, I didn't realise Patricia had gone to school. <laughs> Why are oh, we talking about Patricia just because she's not here? Because when I was young, I just absolutely loved her singing and everything. Oh, yeah. Great. And what about now she's older? Oh, I still do, of course. Oh, I thought you might have gone off a bit. You <laughs> yes, know, like, no, no. Because, you know, I have. It never um, dies. Robin, <laughs> how did you find yourself living in Keppel? Uh, when we came up here, uh, Dad was working in the Reserve Bank of Australia and he just got sick of the city life, so decided to have a sea change, I guess. Mm-hmm. Listen, describe Keppel for us. How big is it? How many people live there? What What's the demographics? Uh, I think we've got about 25, oh, no, we've got more than that now, 35,000 here, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. It's growing very fast. And are they all retirees from Victoria? 
<laughs> Just about. <laughs> no, we've got a lot of southerners. Yeah. And, you know, I don't blame them for coming up here for the beautiful hot weather. Well, you did. Yes. I love the heat. And and are there older people there, Robin, or is it just yes, is it yes. just young people surfing, sleeping on the beach all oh, day long? We've got about four different generations, or nearly five now, yeah. <laughs> that I know about anyway. <laughs> just for uh, for those of our listeners who don't know about it, Keppel is an island off the Queensland coast. Is that right? Uh, we are the mainland of Keppel Island, and yeah. it's actually Keppel Bay here. All right. Where uh, Captain Cook landed <laughs> when he is, first and and uh, how far from Brisbane is it? Uh, about a thousand k's. And uh, do you have old people there? Yes, Robin, or, yes. Or are you the have... uh, you the oldest person there? Oh no, no! I feel like the youngest actually because I just make it in the baby boomers. Yeah, sixty-four. You know. Okay. <laughs> so you know that was close. I yeah. thought it was Generation X. <laughs> what, what, <laughs> what's the appeal of Keppel for older Australians who who think uh, you know might, the grey nomads who might get in the you know get on the chopper yes. and come over and have a look? Beautiful what's the appeal? beaches to yeah. walk along with your little pals, you know, your little puppy dogs and everything. Mm-hmm. And there's golf and bowls and tennis. <laughs> there's yeah. everything here. Have you got shops? Yes, beautiful oh, shops. Good. And we've even got coals and woolies. <laughs> All right. And is there, is there a hotel there? Yes, we've got about five hotels. Okay. And it used to have 20 pubs here. What happened? In, in the hundreds. I think it was about the gold rush or something. Oh, of course it would have been. Yeah. And do you have do you have things do you have modern appliances and things? Do you have you know like <laughs> like toasters and radios? And... Yeah, yeah. We're not quite cavemen. Yeah. No, well, I'm just trying to get a sense of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about the station. What's what is the station you're on? Keppel FM. Keppel FM ninety one point three, the voice on the Capricorn Coast. <laughs> oh, that's very good. <laughs> And what sort of programs do you have? Just do you, do you, you know, do you just play country and western well, music all day, or there's a lot of us baby boomers playing all the lovely stuff of the seventies and eighties and sixties. And all right. Yeah, so we go. And what about uh, the the really young people? You know, the forty year olds. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, they're catching up with us actually. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they think they know it all, but, you know, <laughs> that's and, typical, isn't it? Oh, uh, typical. Kids these days, Robin. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, don't get me started. Um, <laughs> now, Keppel FM, do you have a, a wide range of programs? Do you have, you know, jazz programs, country yeah. and western, a little bit of electronica, a little bit of thrash, a little yeah. bit of acid jazz, that kind of stuff? Uh, we've sort of gone a bit small at the moment because of, the last couple of years, yeah. But um, so we've uh, we're trying to get more announcers, you know, trying to encourage everyone to have a go, yeah, yeah, because it is a community radio and everyone's got a chance. That's right, you no, know? and that's what I love about community 
lifestyle. So it's, tell me about your show, Rockin' the Free World. What what's what's all that about, Robin? Uh, I did start off doing living legends, but then they all started dying on me. So <laughs> so I decided just to do all legends, mm. and legends can be alive or dead, can't they? Oh yes, they can be. Yeah. I'll talk about their lives. That are pretty good. Who have you done lately? You know, who did or alive? I did uh, Midnight Oil. Oh, what a and, legend. Uh, Peter Garrett. I was legend. Talking about how they're doing their last tour. That's what they say now. Mm. John Farnham but, said that about 20 years ago. <laughs> I love their latest hits. Yes. It just really gives me a lot of buzz. Because it makes me realise, you know, there's still lots in us legends, isn't there? <laughs> oh, absolutely, Robin. Yeah. You're talking. Yeah, absolutely. And, Robin, why do you think um, the listeners at Keppel FM, why do you think they enjoy Baby Boomers so much? Um, Because we're still getting around and raging, you know, still go and have a drink at the pub and <laughs> we like to have a dance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good on you. Yeah, now RSL here is great too. And all joking aside, Robin, you maintain a lot of social contacts, social interaction is good for you? Yes, yes, definitely. I need social interaction, otherwise I just go crazy, you know, looking at four walls. Yeah, <laughs> I know. But I am an artist, so I can imagine lots of things anyway. Well, I was just going to say, you're looking at four walls. You can just see four canvases as <laughs> yeah. far as, you know, there may be walls to anyone else. Yeah, but they're I know. A, they're yeah. a blank canvas to you. Hmm. How would you get into mural painting? I started off just doing little canvases and then I thought, no, I've got to. So I painted on those cane blinds. All right. And how did that happen? So did you just... Were you just graffitiing one night and you got caught? Or um, or, or did, uh, or did someone say, I've got a wall here, would you like to paint it? It happened when I had an accident and I didn't know how to give myself a rehab, I guess. Yeah. By painting because it's, it's very... Uh, oh, good. It does a lot to the brain when you're, you know, worried about things and everything. Robin... I want to end on a positive note, so I want to end on uh, thanking you very much for having a listen to your show, which I'm going to do, and um, thanking you for being on our show and for taking our show. Yeah, well, thank you, Lex. It's been a pleasure and a privilege. Good on you. Well, we'll rock on to uh, Keppel FM next time we're around. I have uh, interviewed a few famous people, so I'm really stoked about all that. Good on you. Excellent. Okay. Keep rocking, Robin. Okay. And thank you, Lex. Take care. And that's it for another episode, another jam-packed episode of Baby Boomer's Guide to Life in the 21st Century. What have we got next week, Patricia? Well, we're coming up to Women's Health Week and we have Emeritus Professor Julie Biles who will take us through the very latest on women's health. There is so much more to learn. Have I got the week off? No, no, no. You have a wife, you have daughters, you have granddaughters. Oh, yeah, I suppose they all qualify yeah, as women, don't they? Yeah, my word. They, <laughs> they sure do. And whirling us through Nostalgia Town is the original Carlotta. Get those clothes off, Jeff. Come on, they don't oh, belong Jeffrey's to you. Oh, pinched all of the frocks. All of, oh. I was going to dress up for it. I went to my wardrobe no. and Jeffrey had pinched all the frocks. <laughs> 
from Carlotta. Do you know, seriously, she's a wonderful woman with lots of stories to tell Carlotta today. And then we're going to step out with Ben White from 10FM and Stanthorpe, Queensland. Lovely. That's all next week on Baby Boomer's Guide to Life in the 21st Century. Baby Boomer's Guide to Life is produced on the Gadigal and Wongal lands of the Eora Nation in association with the Older Women's Network. Baby Boomer's Guide is funded by the Extra Foundation, which works to ensure that more Australians are confident making money decisions today and into the future. You can find out more by going to extra.org.au. That's E-C-S-T-R-A dot org dot A-U. And don't forget, if you've missed any episodes, catch up on your favourite podcast app and online at babyboomersguide.com.au. Plus, you can join the conversation and have your say on our Baby Boomers Guide to Life Facebook page. Your Baby Boomers Guide to Life hosts are Senior Influencers of the Year, Patricia, Little Paddy Amphlet, and me, Big Lex Marinos. Get connected and stay connected. connected.